You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. So, I was so excited to have you on my podcast because one of my clients said, oh, I've been going to Richard's class. And I was like, okay, let me go check Richard out. What's he talking about? And I checked out what you've been talking about over in LinkedIn. And I was like, wow, like this person really knows it. And then I started stalking you. And it looks like you started with LinkedIn before LinkedIn even, I knew it was even born. So I'd love to jump in, Richard, and understand, were you... Like, you know, one of the first people there promoting LinkedIn, like were you born with the journey of LinkedIn? Tell me about that. Yeah, it's, it's a big secret, but I actually invented LinkedIn and then somebody <laughs> ripped my ID and started LinkedIn. That That's the real story. <laughs> no, um, to be honest, um, I jumped on LinkedIn in 2004, which is actually just one year after they launched it. Uh, at that moment, I was working for a temp agency in Holland we had a sales training uh, from an American sales trainer. And at night at the bar, which were always my favorite parts of the training. So at the bar during a drink, he said, you, sh- you should jump on LinkedIn. Uh, and I ha- hadn't heard of it, obviously. So uh, I, <laughs> I logged into LinkedIn. I created an account. I started inviting people and actually nobody responded. Like I even got like people saying, hey, are you spamming me or something? So I closed LinkedIn again because I was like, you know, I'm the only one there. And then I moved to Tanzania. I uh, was a half year doing uh, volunteer work in Tanzania. And um, when that came to an end, I again logged into LinkedIn. I created an account and actually via LinkedIn, I managed to get like uh, a job application, a job interview. And that is actually where my journey started. So I've been using it since, um, actually since, end 2005, beginning of 2006. And my first training was back in 2009. And that was very funny because I remember I, I, um, I booked a room or I booked a, like a conference room in a hotel. Um, at that time, uh, LinkedIn already had events. So I created an event. I had a, a small website and I think about 12 to 14 people signed up, but they all had the same question. What is it? And what can I do with it? So it was not about how do I use it? No, it was really what is it and why should I be on LinkedIn? That was my first training back in December 2009. Um, And then in 2010, um, I quit my job. Uh, I was fully dedicated to giving training. I met somebody else in Holland who was already actually in the same business. He had a sales training agency. And he decided to uh, go 100% with LinkedIn. So instead of doing all the like offline sales training, he said, no, I'm 100% going to focus on how to use LinkedIn as an entrepreneur, as an interim manager to get you the next job or the next client. And I was more or less on the same journey. So I said, hey, let's, let's do it together. And um, within a half year, we managed to get one of the biggest banks in Holland as a corporate client for, to train 300 salespeople on LinkedIn. So I'm talking now about the end of 2010 and that's where it really kicked off. So that's where we really started to, um, 
well, actually to, to provide training on LinkedIn on a, on a weekly base. Wow. Wow. What, like looking back at the journey where you started and it was like literally for jobs and that's where you started and you saw the whole journey. And if I asked you now, like what is LinkedIn today and if you were comparing it to what it was back then, right? How much yeah. has the platform really evolved in, you know, and what has it turned into to what you thought it was? Funny, I still have the first print screen. Um, and at that moment, uh, 2004, you could create a profile and that was more or less it. You could connect people. That was it. There were no company pages. There was no feed. You could not make a post. It was just like a virtual, like a digital Rolodex. That was it. Um, and the questions we have had uh, in our trainings has have shifted from what is it in how do I start using it? to now uh, very clearly questions like, how do I optimize my sales process? How do I support my marketing process in using LinkedIn? So you see, um, for example, uh, when I have, I, for 80% of my business is training sales teams, um, most of the time working in big international companies. Uh, in the first session, we always do like uh, uh, a small introduction round. And I always have people that say, I do not use LinkedIn very much because I don't like social media. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. And I say, okay, that's cool because LinkedIn, in my opinion, is no longer social media. It's a business tool that you need as an entrepreneur, as a salesperson, as a marketing person, as a recruiter. My guess would be that if LinkedIn would stop tomorrow, there would be a big problem, especially in the business to business with recruiters, marketing people and salespeople, how to meet and how to connect with a potential client. So I think LinkedIn has evolved from a social media platform into a not to miss a business tool. Awesome. Where do you think the tool's going? Like where will well, it evolve to now? That's interesting because I'm a bit worried, actually, and I also expressed my worries with several people working at LinkedIn because I like a lot of things that are happening. You know, we have now like the newsletter was great. We have LinkedIn Live. We have video. That's all great. But <clears throat> maybe you have the same, Melanie. I sometimes feel I'm in a bubble. If I look at my feed, I have a lot of wonderful LinkedIn experts. They share a lot of news, a lot of new features. But I think one or 2% of the LinkedIn users are using all the features. And the vast majority being our clients, they are not using LinkedIn in the same way as we do. And sometimes I think that LinkedIn is evolving so rapidly um, with regards to marketing solutions, sales solutions, that maybe our clients cannot keep up with that pace, lose interest in the platform, lose trust in the mm. platform and then we have a serious problem because then we can organize LinkedIn events, we can organize LinkedIn lives, but if we can't meet our clients anymore, that's a serious issue. I guess from LinkedIn's perspective, what they're thinking is they also don't want to be left behind with TikTok and um, Instagram and Facebook, even though I don't really see them as competitors, but I guess they, they do see themselves on a market valuation level to compare themselves, right? They're always looking at the market cap as to what's feature rich and what, what it is. So I guess from their perspective, they are trying to bring some of those features that we see in these other platforms 
Um, but at a user level, you're right. We don't need that as business users so much, but they're trying to be that feature rich company. I mean, it was a great move that they got rid of the stories, right? And they're not trying to be Instagram. Yeah. That, 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 that's for me, one of the best examples now. So they, they jumped on stories much later than all the other platforms and it was not embraced by the vast majority. Um, I have my same doubts for LinkedIn audio because they launched it. It's in beta. It's very buggy. It doesn't mm. have the same functionality, same features as Clubhouse has. And uh, I've seen already some people like saying, no, it's, it's not um, an added value feature. So yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously LinkedIn, since it has become a Microsoft company, they are really yes. trying to like increase revenue and, and, and uh, they have much more new features. Yes. Um, still, I think they should be aware that 80% of the LinkedIn user is an average user, has the profile, connects, maybe clicks on a link, maybe uh, views a LinkedIn video, uh, live, but, but that's it. Yeah. Of course. I mean, we, we use this, I think probably 10 minutes a month is like sort of what I've heard is the average um, sort of time that, that people are using it. So yeah, you're right. It's moving way too fast. What about even like LinkedIn groups? Is that dead or what? what's going on in LinkedIn groups? What's your opinion on that? I just see every group I'm part of is like a non-value adding group. I try to add value to the group, but it just seems like people can just post anything. It doesn't seem to add much enrichment in my life i've i've read somewhere and i totally believe the number that 98 percent of all the link groups are like clinically dead they they, yeah. they there is no activity no new members no discussions to be honest i think a lot of group were mismanaged groups were there they were spammed either the manager would not delete spammy posts or the manager itself would use the group as like a funnel, you know, to sell the stuff. Mm -hmm. So then people lose interest. Um, I'm still a member of a few groups. Um, but to be honest, I very rarely check the activity. I've uh, set all the alerts off. I don't receive emails. I don't receive notifications. Yes, um, and to be honest, the only reason why I think the groups are still there is that they're also a part of the targeting uh, possibilities in the marketing campaign. You can target groups in mm. uh, your marketing campaign, which is, of course, a very interesting uh, targeting possibility because, well, groups are always centered right. around a certain of kind course. of topic or job title yeah. or region yeah. or whatever. Um, and someone might have joined really... and left it yeah. and you've got the data there that yeah. to yeah. Yeah, play yeah. with. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a missed opportunity because like groups, like the old fora on the internet were like the place where people love to hang out to get new news. Right. Um, so I think LinkedIn should really do something about, I don't know, revitalizing the groups, maybe make it more difficult to have a group, have some guidelines, some minimal requirements, you know, to make it like more active because now well, interestingly, what they did with the groups, I tried to make a LinkedIn group. They won't let me name the group LinkedIn anymore but there's so nope. many groups that's nope. got the word LinkedIn already in it. So yeah. anything that's legacy, they're allowing to keep, but they're punishing anyone that's trying to create a legitimate, you know, group and actually monitor that and have quality. They're not even letting you name that. So they'll be difficult to be found in a group if people are searching for quality groups when it comes to LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, we have a product, it's called LinkedIn Sites. So linked 
Insights okay. or LinkedIn sites, and I cannot yeah. do anything with a name. Um, e even if you if you claim the URL, they will reach out right. to you and say you cannot you cannot have the URL because it has LinkedIn in in the URL. So, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you're saying that you've got a product called LinkedIn Insights in the market. I wasn't aware of this. Yep. Is there something that um, can you share that with us? Because I mean, I think there's so much data in LinkedIn right now, and the amount of data that you can collate, it's actually very difficult to sift through the amount of data for an organization to find their actual audience. You would understand that from a sales perspective, right? That here we yeah. are getting followers every day. We're not able to just get that dumped in a quality way. We're getting so many points of profile views that could be meaning nothing. There's, you know, high touch points, people subscribing of newsletters, very hard to know who subscribes. So what does your insight tool actually do? No, it's not, it's not a tool. It's just it's just uh, it's just a name of a product where we share every two weeks um, uh, a linked insights. So, uh, for example, uh, two weeks ago we shared a linked insight how to leverage the power of the featured section. Oh, uh, and yes. We, and we and we create like a carousel and we send it to um, our clients and say, hey. This is a carousel. It explains to your employees how to use the featured section and they can share it internally. So that's, we call it LinkedIn Insights because we provide LinkedIn insights to our clients. On Got the it. data perspective, which is very interesting. Yes. Um, it still like really annoys me. You know, I have mm -hmm. about 20,000 newsletter subscribers. I don't know yes. who they are. I have 4,500 hashtag followers on my personal hashtag. I don't know who they are. Um, exactly. I have uh, a lot of people ringing my bell. I don't see who they are. So, so that really annoying me because you know you have like your tribe is not only your connections anymore. You have your followers. You have your bell Absolutely. ringers, your hashtag followers. Absolutely. And I would pay a lot to have a dashboard where I could see who is like a connection, but also a hashtag follower, also a newsletter subscriber, because it provides you a huge amount of data. As far as I know, it's not there. For my content data, I use Shield. You probably know. Yes. Yes. So I can track on like how is my content performing, but like this data on growing your your tribe, growing your audience, and who is where, that would be really interesting. And and well, LinkedIn has the data. They just are not willing yet to share it. Correct. I mean, um, we tried to get into the LinkedIn API and look at doing a product so that our clientele and you know the we can actually sift through this data. And we were saying, you know, it would be called sift the product because we're not able to sift. I don't, you've got 20,000 followers, but out of that, maybe only 1000 is your key target audience. You need to be able to get to that very quickly with a snap of a button that this is my people that I really need to talk to because I've got an offer for them. Right. And from a sales perspective, but you can't do that. Yes, you can download your followers, but you can't download your newsletter subscribers. We've had to use scraping tools to get down to, those subscribers and then we have to manually fill in the linkedin profile url their job anything that's not given on that screen of the subscriber list means nothing so yep the data is not meaningful and i think this is a huge issue and i really am passionate about talking about it because everyone wants sales as part of their marketing and you know the biggest thing that we always get complaint about is we're doing content but we're not getting sales but then 
the issue is the reason you're not getting sales because you're doing content is because you're not sifting through your data and checking for all the imprints that are left right there for you as warm leads. You're not scraping your comments. You're not scraping, you know, who's engaged yeah. with you. And it's LinkedIn's actually that, making that, it so that, difficult to do that. Yeah, 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 fair point. Because one of the things I teach my people in the training is, uh, you know, it's, it's hard enough to convince sales that they should create posts themselves. You know, you have a lot of salespeople that still say, no, nah, no, nah, creating content is something that marketing needs to do. And we try to explain to them, if you are only going to be like the, the mailman that delivers the corporate content to your audience, it's not going to work. You need to be out there. You need to comment. You need to, uh, you know, you need to publish your own content, your own vision. Yeah. And then people do that. And, um, they actually like it because they see an increase in views. They see an increase in engagement. They get more invites. But then simply to just click on your post two days after you published it and, and scroll through the people that liked your post, look for your target yeah. audience that is not connected and send them a connection request saying, hey, thanks for liking my yeah. post about digital transformation. Uh, please connect with me because I'm, uh, I'm about to share more content uh, on the same topic. Yeah. That's yeah, like absolutely. for a lot of people that go like, okay, you Why know, can they, I they do? don't think about that. So it's, yeah. no, no, no. They, they publish content. And then they expect the lead to, to you know, come in their email saying yeah. like, hi, I just saw your post. Let's, let's, you know, have a deal. No, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and this is just a small thing. You know, I am also with, uh, marketing communications. They have followers, they have 8,000 followers. And then we ask, have you given the list of 8,000 followers to your salespeople? Yes. For no. them to go through the list, which people are following our company, can I reach out on an individual level saying, hey, I saw you followed our company, uh, probably because you like this. Uh, let's connect on a personal level. I sh they don't do that. It's no. So, so um, yeah, I think there's a huge challenge in analyzing the, the data, data, transferring yes. the data to the right people, and then act Absolutely. upon the data insights. Absolutely. And then getting that key messaging right on how you communicate with that data as to where they are just because they subscribe to your newsletter isn't doesn't mean that they're ready for a sales conversation that nope. you know and they nope. probably but then they are more warmer than someone that viewed your profile i mean i see people going for a low-hanging fruit of just because they viewed your profile it's like they're they're okay you got to start somewhere okay but that's really really hungry you know to go and go at a profile review level, but that's, you can start there. But if you've got newsletters, subscribers, and you've got that type of warmth there, that's your low hanging fruit right there. You've got yep. someone that's engaging with you on a much deeper level. And I cannot believe they don't give us the video views. And I don't know if you've no. experienced this, but the video views has gone down so much. I've seen Gary V. I've seen Chris Walker. I've seen everyone experience massive low in videos. And I've experienced almost like a 70% low. Why do you think they're doing that? What's, you know, I know, I know other thought leaders um, have had thoughts on that, but why do you think that LinkedIn is all of a sudden not putting videos as a main thing on our feed, which is so engaging and so purposeful? I don't know for sure. Um, as you probably know, we do an annual research to the algorithm and over the past years uh coming from 2019 video was increasing until 2021 when it yes. suddenly stopped growing 
okay uh, we, we didn't saw a decrease but it stopped growing um and most of the time when linkedin favors a certain kind of format um it's because there is mm, like a new revenue model they have for example we have seen an awful amount of polls over the past one and a half year in our feeds it was like a plague you know i yes i opened my feed and six out of ten posts were polls. yes yes um and and they have turned that down um yes since like a month or three we i, I yes i see yes. much more less polls and i've heard yeah. about the serious decrease in views of videos so yes. most of the time what they do, if, if they turn something down in the album, they give less visibility. It's because they want to make room for other type of content where they can make money, uh, more money with. I don't know. I, what I still see is that text posts are really generating a lot of views. So you don't have a yes. video, you don't have nothing, not picture, nothing, nothing. just a text post. Text post. Yes. I, see, I see that documents... Yes. If you have the right documents, I mean, like the carousels with very yes. few words um, that are still performing well. Yes. Um, I don't know why suddenly video has become less popular by the algorithm. I do know that it was favored from 2019 until 2021, mainly because they also wanted to boost LinkedIn Live. And, they, and obviously they had they implemented, I think, 2019 the possibility to have a video ad that was introduced in 2019. Correct. So if you would like to convince your clients to use video ads, you must show them that more videos are turning up in the feed because otherwise nobody is willing yeah, to buy a video ad. So that's why they tweaked video in the timeline. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that business yeah. model of video advertisement has reached like the adult uh, uh level of growth there is no more growth and that's why they don't need to tweak video anymore i don't know i want to put it to you this is what i heard chris walker talk about last week about video views because i was like he gets about eighty thousand views still on his videos which i thought was massive amount of views um and i'm having him next week and this is his thought on it linkedin is pushing vanity metrics to us and if we have videos we don't they, we don't can't show as many views because that person is stuck on that particular video. They observe the video, they take that thought, they go, they leave the platform, they spend the 10 minutes or five minutes. It's all they're going to give that platform. Like, you know, they don't have all the time. So they observe this really high quality content. Now they're not going to scroll and give the vanity metrics to all the text and image post. So guess what? People then get upset that are producing content because they're not getting the viewership because the video takes up so much room in a space and that even though the user is happier because they got a rich piece of content because we know video is a much more richer piece of content it leaves us with a brand recognition a face recognition but why would why would they not push that when in every platform we see stories and so forth being videos within you know every other TikTok is the newest you know thing with video so for LinkedIn to move that was one of his thoughts what do you think do you agree do you disagree on yeah, that? yeah. If I hear that, yeah, if I hear that, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely, because um, we analyze some behavior, and it's true. If people watch a video, especially if the video is more than a minute, um, after watching the video, they leave because they have mm -hmm. they have used their time on LinkedIn. They were mm -hmm. like impressed, or they were engaged. Um, 
So that definitely makes sense. While if you don't show as much videos in your timeline and you have all the snackable posts, people tend to scroll more through their posts, which gives more views to people, which yes. makes people think that LinkedIn is working for them. Um, yes. So yeah, that makes yes. sense. I haven't thought about that, but yeah, it definitely resonates I, with, with what I'm thinking. I think so. I think it makes a lot of sense as well. I think it was a very smart thought and, you know, be able to think like LinkedIn and push vanity metrics makes a lot of sense. Um, so I really want to know about what you then measure metrics on because, you know, there is these vanity metrics that we've just touched on. Very easy to measure vanity metrics, you know, and sell vanity metrics, you know, yes, I got organic 250,000 views. Um, I'm so proud of it. But really, what does that really mean at the end, if you're not going to scrape all the engagement through and push it into your CRM data? What do you think that we should be measuring from a brand awareness, a point of view, because that's one part. And then from a sales part, what should we be measuring? Like, is it followership? Where does, where, where do you, where do you see that, you know, key metrics sit on both of those aspects? Um, well, for me, an important indicator is the growth of your follower base. That, that's a very important one for me because um, to give an example, I changed my content strategy about one year ago. Yeah. And I grew my followers base from 20,000 to 40,000 or nearly mm -hmm. 40,000. So I'm definitely mm -hmm. now seeing a lot of people hop on my profile in order to see more of my content. Mm -hmm. um, if I work with clients, I have, uh, we have like input KPIs that's very easy to measure, you know, uh, how often do you comment? How often do you publish? How do you grow your network? But more importantly are the output KPIs. Output KPIs, the thing I measure is how many one-on-one -on -one conversations do I gain from LinkedIn? So, you know, because you can have a lot of views, you can have a lot of engagement, but in the end, you want to have like the 30 minute time to like, have the first introduction meeting with your client because without being arrogant, and I think this goes for the, for the best salespeople, if I get the first 30 minutes of my clients, normally I, I, I sell the trainings, I sell our services because I can convince them that the most difficult step is to get them to... Uh, to get them as far as to jump on a call with me. That's the most difficult yeah. step because obviously there are a lot of people out there trying to get their attention. They receive in, mm -hmm. in, in tons of emails every week. Yes. Um, so one-on-one -on -one conversation, that's a KPI I measure. Um, also, um, the inbound messages I receive. How many people during a week sent me a message and saying, hey, Richard, we would like to invite you. We would like to talk with you because on. Because that's what the con content needs to do. You know, It needs to convert people from being a follower or even a silent follower to like literally send me an email or send me a LinkedIn message and say, Hey, we would like to talk to you. Interesting enough. And I published um, a post about that a week ago is that a lot of people are always looking at the same people that like or comment. You know, I call this like the inner circle. We all have our inner mm. circle. If I publish something, mm. I can give you like 50 names that I'm for mm. sure within the first hour, they will be commenting or liking. However, mm they will never become my clients. This is yeah. like my ambassador group. Yes. Uh, yes. They follow everything that's new on LinkedIn. They follow everything that's new on social selling. They follow not only yeah. me, they follow like 100 experts and, and they just like comment everything. We have a huge silent community on LinkedIn. Those are the people that might follow you so you don't know who it is, 
or at least they don't like your content, they don't engage with your content, they don't leave a comment. Mm -hmm. But suddenly, after like four or five months, you receive a message saying, I have been a huge fan of your content. I've been following your content for half a year, and I would like to invite you to discuss possible trainings for our company. I receive these messages like um, almost like every week. Mm. And it always surprises me that if I then look at the profile that I've never seen this profile liking, commenting, or engaging with me before, but apparently they are they are like watching belonging to the silent community that yeah they are watching yeah. and they really love yeah. your content until the moment that they are convinced enough to reach out to you so yeah um we or should until not they're stare, ready uh, or until they're ready yeah yeah definitely definitely like it's a... so for me like for me like views likes comments it's an indicator but it's it, it's it's no more than that for me the real thing is the conversion how many one-on-one conversions how many requests, how many inbound messages do you get? That's for me the real conversion. And what about outreaching back out? What do you? What's your viewpoint on that? Because, yes, you have a substantial enough following to probably inbound in. What about your views on do you use outbound out to, you know, make um, that, that, that initial conversation to engage potential target market or do you leave it completely to inbound? And maybe for yourself, it's a different strategy to someone else at Elsa Moore starting out new in content marketing. Yeah, I, I, I really think you should need an outbound strategy as well. Uh, this is actually what we teach uh, our clients. Probably you teach your clients the same, you know, how to do an outbound strategy, how to create content, how to put it out there, how to follow up. Um, we personally, uh, we don't do that as much as we should do. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's more or less like a luxury problem. If you have a mm-hmm. like an inbound, a huge inbound, yeah. then there is like almost no time or no need to have like also a huge outbound. Uh, because we, we don't, at this one, we don't want to grow it in much more staff. Uh, and we are focusing on providing our, our current clients with the best uh, learning uh, possibilities, learning uh, experience on social selling. But um, as we speak, we are planning to have an album campaign, which is actually not paid. It's pure organic. What we are currently doing, we are um, creating three or four pieces of content. People mm-hmm. like researches, no? People like reports yes. where you say, hey, yes. this, we investigated the market and this is what happened. Yes. People like stats. They like best practices. So we are yes. currently creating four pieces of content, two aimed at the decision maker in sales, two others aimed at the decision makers in marketing. So the CMOs, marketing directors. Mm-hmm. And what we are going to do very simply, we have um, created the lead list and sales navigator. We have created 100 global operating co- uh, companies that we really want to work with. And we are going to target at the same time their sales decision makers and their marketing decision makers with valuable content. This content is not available on our website. It's not so it's really like exclusive because if you send something to a potential client, say, hey, we have this exclusive, and he goes to your website and he can download it or he can see it, it's not exclusive. So yes. if we create content in the first two months, we like only use it to do uh, to reach um only use it for one uh, one-on-one reach out. And we say, hey, we have an exclusive new report. It's about uh, a benchmarking in virtual selling 
uh, how do companies perform in virtual selling? What are the common pitfalls? What are the key success uh, elements? Do you want to have it? Please let me know. And then if they say yes, we, that would be interesting. We send it. We use all kind of tracking tools like smart links and everything you can have. And then we follow up in order to get the first like uh, conversation, you know, the first 30 minute introduction call. That's but great. So, so yeah, I really think every company and every sales should have an outbound strategy. We are currently ourselves, we are not using it as we probably should do because of, well, uh, we have at this moment we have a luxury, but I'm perfectly aware that this can change in a few months. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much for being open and sharing that strategy because people listening on, I mean, that is a strong outreach strategy right there. Um, we love to also bring our, I guess, once we've done a connection on LinkedIn, we like to bring them back into the email platform if we can, because sometimes people don't want to have that conversation on LinkedIn and we t try to take them on. And, you know, everyone's so excited about newsletters and as I am, and I wanted to experiment right with it going, wow, I've got these subscribers, but it's disappointing that the way the data is served. I can't know who read which email, which, which newsletter. I don't know who's engaged and read five. So I do like to bring them back onto an email platform and connect it because at least I'm getting, I know who's warm and who's engaged because I don't want to irritate and do an outreach strategy on someone that's not there and not engaging with my content, you know? So that data, again, because it's lacking in LinkedIn, I've brought it back into making sure that our clients are also aware that email marketing, at least you own the data. I still feel like LinkedIn's mm. not allowing us to own the data. And with our clients, Richard, a lot of these CMOs, you would know they love to get trained, but then they don't have the resources to execute that content consistently. So um, yeah. that's where, you know, my client's still sitting with you and getting the learning. But when it comes to execution, they want a marketing partner that also knows LinkedIn deeply, but can execute and is very much aware that, you know, yes, I'm not going to go invest money now so much into videos, even though we did a full production on videos and LinkedIn's doing this type of behavior. But I still go and I think video investment, regardless of views, has huge amount of brand credibility if you don't me measure the metrics of views anymore as your ideal. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that's on your feature profile, you know, that's there, that someone actually can feel and touch you, I think that cannot be measured. And that brings me to the conversation of ROI because this whole conversation is always about ROI. But how do you explain to a client that the, that, that video that's going to sit there as an asset, someone's going to maybe watch it in sort of seven, eight months time when they come and visit your profile. Maybe they didn't visit it in that instant. You didn't get the vanity metrics because of the algorithm. What's, you know what I'm saying? It's really hard when you're being measured as a CMO of a company going, you've come in, you've got to make a difference. You've got to scale um, up my company and you're being measured and saying, show me what you're doing. And we're left to make these decisions. And it, if it was made just on those metrics, we would never do a video would never do certain yeah. pieces of content. No, to be honest, I, I still get sometimes, especially from, from the board or the CEO or, you know, the question, what is the ROI? You know, if we're going to train, let's say 100 salespeople, uh, yes. obviously that's an yes. investment. They need, you know, they need to yes. follow seven modules of two hours. Yes. Um, yes. What is the area ROI? And actually it, I understand the question. Yes. But I don't, but I don't like the question because yes. if you say at the beginning, what is the ROI, then I can counter, I can counter attack the question. So what is the ROI of your people not involving on social and keep yes. like spamming people with emails and phone calls while we all yes. know that that is not working anymore. Um, uh, yes. If you follow, yes. 
researchers from McKinsey, research from Gartner, they all say that the average business-to-business buyer spends more time than five years ago on LinkedIn. Um, 65 to 70% of the buyer journey has been completed before they reach out to their supplier to have the first face-to-face meeting. So uh, a lot of clients, potential clients, they go from a long list to a short list without any contact with supplier. They just do it on desk research, uh, case studies. Um, old stats show that buyers are not willing to engage in a phone call without knowing why people are calling. They do not want to be cold called. They do not yes. respond to cold emailing. And also, and that's more interesting, they um, are more reluctant, more hesitant to exchange their data for gated content. Okay, so yes. more or less all the traditional ways the yes. buyers and especially uh, in the past two years with the pandemic, we were all trained, also our clients, to engage more online, to be more active virtually, to do more desk research, to have a quick chat online, to watch a webinar, to watch a po- or to listen to podcast. So we cannot deny that the buyers have also completely changed the way how they look for content, how they look for potential suppliers. So that's all. That's always the first answer. You need to be active there where your buyers are looking for valuable insights. Okay, so you cannot miss out not to be there. Um, what I'm trying, and with some clients I succeed, with some others not, because it really affects the way how marketing and sales are organized, is I always challenge my clients to make marketing and sales responsible for the same results. So instead of sales having these results and marketing need to drive more traffic to the website, give them combined KPIs about customer retention, about new leads, about yes. SQLs, MQLs. So make them yes. responsible for the whole package together because then exactly. you see that they're going to create, then, then you see the real alignment because everybody speaks about marketing sales alignment and a lot of companies that speak, we have marketing sales aligned, it's not. Marketing yes. creates content, sales doesn't like the content, sales doesn't use the content, sales yes. produces content, marketing gets nervous because it's not in the same style, it's not the house style that they want. Yes. But real alignment is to make them to get a responsible to upsell, cross-sell, have customer retention on one hand and generate leads on the other hand. And if you if you dare to do that, then you see the real thing happening. Yeah. And then it's very easy because then you can just set targets on how many new clients, how many new revenues, how go- are we going to increase the average revenue per client? Those are targets mm-hmm. you can set and just give it to the both department and say, I don't care how you do it, make sure it's going to work. Absolutely. I mean, I got my marketing and my sales team to sit together next to each other for a whole week and you just see a whole involvement. Whereas before that one person's creating content, the other person doesn't know what the content did. They're just doing their outreach. Exactly. Completely no idea all the warmth that is there. My sales team didn't even know that there is these people that have clicked into the strategy call and didn't book in. That data was not even being passed. And I'm saying, wow, like, you know, they don't talk to each other. So I can't imagine in a larger organization what is going on. Like there would be no discussion. I know that for a fact. If it's happening in my own organization and I run a marketing agency and I can admit it, that that is happening where I've got my outbound happening and they're doing their thing and the data is not being passed. And my obsession with data, when I sat them down together, they figured it out together because they had the objective of 
the same exact what you said, like client retention, that's our number one goal, A, for us. And number two is new clients, but the right clients. And if they shared that data and intelligence with each other, we would all be at a different place. But usually that, that's something organizations must do. Um, I feel so much is put them right next to each other so they can really be partners in the same objective. Um, but it's hard to make that connection. I think it's really hard because it just, it's, it's hard for people to realize the connection that needs to be there between them. One of the, one of the things we do, Melanie, in our trainings, in our sales trainings is that we invite marketing to take part of the sales training. And that, yeah. that already gives some awesome results because if they don't, if they cannot join or they don't want to join, and we are talking about, for example, about content with salespeople, they always have complaints that marketing doesn't understand the content they need or that they want to have a different type of content. Hey, your marketing colleague is right in the call. Have a discussion. What do we need yes. and how are we going to arrange it? So I've seen a huge like uh, benefit and you can see real alignment happening there, real like brainstorm and real actions. Yes. Um, that can bring the company further if you if you uh, have them in the same training about how are we going to create impact towards a target audience on LinkedIn. And another thing is that if we, um, uh, for example, in Sales Navigator, if you're going to do a one-on-one -on -one campaign, if you're going to reach out to certain kind of people, okay, let marketing know which companies are you targeting, which people are you targeting, and let them create an ad just like two weeks before so Mark, those people have seen already your name in the timeline. They are targeted. And then if you reach out, it's, it's like it has a, a warmer result than if you just go out with an in-mail or, or with a connection request. Absolutely. Them having seen your logo or your update or your newsletter or whatever. So, again, in LinkedIn, there, is, there are many opportunities to really yes. create alignment between marketing and sales with, in the end, better results both for existing clients, but also for prospects. And Richard, I guess the question is now, is the platform become so saturated in terms of with content? Like, is it still, is there still opportunity you see for people that are starting out to still build out that followership? Because I guess, a lot of people are thinking, am I coming in too late? What's your view on that? As long as the stats say that only 4% of the LinkedIn people are creating content, there is still a huge opportunity if you now, if you have never published content and you think now, okay, I really need to step out and do that. You know, there's still 96% of the people are not creating content. So there's a huge like audience waiting for you also to publish content. Um, and I think if you have the right strategy, if you are consistent, uh, if you are authentic, there, LinkedIn is still definitely a great platform to like grow your tribe, grow your community and create impact. On the other hand, uh, you have talked about newsletters a few times already. Since LinkedIn gave access to newsletters to everyone who turned on creator mode, and a lot of people have created their own newsletter, all the numbers on newsletters are down. Less people open, less people subscribe, growth of newsletters is less. I was one of the first persons, uh, August 2020, I was given the newsletter and it was huge. When I launched it, people like, I received a lot of personal messages. Hey, this is cool. How do you get a newsletter? How can, 
because and I grew my my subscribers to 10,000 15,000 with the first three four newsletters now I see so much content and I'm, I'm not being harsh here but I see so many people producing content that are like spammy pitchy they don't provide any added value they have like two paragraphs mm. and then they have like a big sell yes. buy me buy me so people get yes, fed up yes. with this newsletter content. It's too much. And you can see that also with the people that are producing content in newsletters. Their subscribers' growth has, has slowed down. Uh, new newsletters uh, are not subscribed to as much as before. So there is, again, a risk in too many people producing the wrong type of content, which results in our audience... Um, less engaging in valuable content because they don't distinguish the good quality anymore from the bad quality content. Absolutely. I mean, with my newsletter, I was always like, you have to push quality and I still got a strong result. And, but the commitment that you go into newsletter, we have to acknowledge that you have to commit to this, that you're going to add value every week. You have to show up just like I'm committing here and you're committing here, showing up to this podcast and making and talking about what's going on in the platform. And that's the same with newsletter. You have to show up and you have to be genuinely wanting to add value. So many people just do stuff because they want something in return. And all they think about is this ROI. And I tell those people back, well, does Coca-Cola look at that sign every time and go, how much ROI did I get from that sign? Do they measure that? Or do they just go, that's just the need. I just need to be yeah. on that billboard. They do not go and measure the ROI of every damn billboard around, surely. But, but no, I, we I are. No, I, I agree. <clears throat> I agree. And that's also the reason, uh, uh, you know, companies now also have access to newsletters. Uh, so a few of my colleagues, they were like, okay, let's create a newsletter. I said, oh, wait, you know, just <laughs> what is our strategy? What do we want yes. to do? Because... We can Correct. produce the first newsletter and saying, hey, we're going to talk about social selling. Correct. But, you know, that's not a unique, that does not provide any added value compared to a lot of others. So we need to have like a concept in mind, a certain strategy. And that's about frequency. It's about topics. It's about, you know, really providing additional ad added value. And then I want to launch it because it's very easy to launch it. And yes. then you have like, maybe you have a quick success. But in the end, it's not about launching it. It's about keeping it up, keeping yes, the quality yes. high and, and, yes. and keep people engaged on your content. So that's why Absolutely. we still haven't published our first newsletter on a company page. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact is that I love the fact you're talking about strategy and thinking about that because the first thing is who are you writing for and what is their pain point you're trying to solve? Think about exactly. that before you go and even publish a newsletter or do the next big thing. Now, Final thoughts, I have to ask you. So what is after LinkedIn? Where are we going? Are we going into TikTok? Are we going into where do you think that, you know, we have left the Facebook era? It went into an Instagram era. There is no, there is, that is so obvious. Facebook paid ads has become difficult. We've got B2C here in LinkedIn ads. We're seeing Tiffany & Co, Louis Vuitton. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of scary because, you know, we ourselves are still playing in organic for so long because the opportunities were huge. And in the last four months, all of a sudden, here it is. We've got big major players taking up budgets, which is going to have an entry point that's going to be even harder when, you know, SMEs and medium businesses try to come in because we've got big players yep. leaving Facebook ads coming here. So is, you know, this regime of LinkedIn, you know, where do you see it evolving 
is TikTok something that you actually, because a lot of people are experimenting on TikTok, is TikTok just the next Instagram and a B2C channel over there? Or is that a major play? What's your thoughts? What's after LinkedIn? Or is that something that you see that LinkedIn will just keep evolving? I really want to get your deep thoughts on that. It, it's a very interesting question, Melanie. And I don't know if I, uh, I'm thinking a lot about that, you know, also from our own business model because we are like 100% dedicated to LinkedIn. So what happens if LinkedIn stops or LinkedIn like becomes much less uh, important or much less interesting, then we have like ourselves, we would have a huge problem. Um, I don't see that happen in like the next two, three years because uh, again, you know, the Microsoft, they have a very strong strategy and all the numbers are still up. You know, yeah. LinkedIn still gets new members. There are a lot of emerging markets staying along LinkedIn. Um, however, I do think <clears throat> that even as a salesperson individually, but also as a company, you should always have a multi-channel strategy. No, you have talked about emailing, like transferring people from LinkedIn to your email where you can follow up, you have more data. Um, yes. And I see some clients experiencing, especially salespeople with TikTok videos uh, because of the huge popularity. Uh, that could be, I'm still waiting uh, some sometimes people ask me which platform is going to be the next LinkedIn. I do think that it will become very, very difficult to create a new B2B or business platform with that number of engagement, that number of members as LinkedIn. I think it's I think it's almost impossible. I don't see a new platform like emerge and taking like all the audience from LinkedIn to that platform. Okay. That's almost impossible but i do think people should have like a, a multi-channel strategy and i don't know if it's going to be tiktok i don't know if uh, you know uh, a lot of people talking about metaverse if that's going to change things in the near future also for companies um for the for the upcoming two three years i think people are safe <laughs> with their business mm -hmm. on linkedin i always give them the advice keep your eyes open if you want to experience with tiktok go to tiktok Facebook for me is a no-go um, for for uh, personal profiles. I very rarely speak to salespeople that use their own Facebook profile to connect with clients. Uh, Facebook yeah, from absolutely. a corporate point of view, maybe employee branding, maybe recruitment, but not into generating sales. Uh, marketing B2B, also I don't see Facebook anymore. So I think it's LinkedIn combined with tools like TikTok or anything new tool that comes up, maybe a video platform or whatever. What about the audio channel? Um, is that still, you, you discussed it a little while ago, the one that we, what is it um, called, where we all listen and join on the groups on audio? Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Is that dead? Because, I mean, I tried to do that thing and, how is it in Europe as well? Like, you know, is that, is that an actual real I, platform? Because everyone is so excited about it. I jumped on it. You know, I, I ignored it for the first two months. And then everybody in LinkedIn was so enthusiastic about Clubhouse that I was like, I had FOMO, you know. I was like, okay, I need to be there because <laughs> I'm missing out. Yeah. So I, I created an account. And to be honest, I liked it for three months. You know, I was yeah. in several audio rooms. I was invited mm -hmm. to speak about LinkedIn. It was hugely interactive. It was fun. Because I remember one time I was walking in this city, like uh, I, I needed to have a walk for half an hour. And I looked at my clubhouse and hey, there's a LinkedIn clubhouse going on, you know, let's join. And yeah. it was very fun because you're walking and yes. you can participate. Awesome. 
after three months, when I did a small evaluation, my conclusion was, it was for me, it was a huge energy drain because you need to be present. You need to be there. It takes up all your free time. Normally, like I said, I walk in the dog. I'm in the moment with my dog. Now I was on Clubhouse. And then I found myself always speaking in the same bubble. No matter oh. which LinkedIn Clubhouse room I was, always the same people. And not being my clients, but being the other LinkedIn experts, social selling experts, digital marketing experts, they joined. Like It was like almost, it's a bit harsh to say, an incestuous group of people having the same discussions uh, and exchanging real, real valuable insights, but only with themselves. Mm. And my clients were not there. So that's, I was there for three months. Then I decided, no, no, I, I can spend my time better than, than yes. being on Clubhouse. And that's also what I think is going to happen with LinkedIn Audio, because I've spoke with a few clients of mine in the last weeks about LinkedIn Audio, and they don't know what it is. They've never joined a room. They don't know what it is because... Well, it's still in beta or in beta, but I don't think the majority of LinkedIn users, again, only 4% produces content. I don't think the other 96% is willing to join LinkedIn audio rooms. They are just seeing LinkedIn as I make a profile, I connect with people now and then I send a message or like, that's it. Yes, exactly. I know we don't need complexity from LinkedIn. Um, what we need no. is better feeds. What we need is better feeds, better evaluation on that algorithm, but that will actually keep us more entertained. You know, like we, we already know that that's where the issue lies in every platform, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, it's about that experience on newsfeed and the newsfeed experience sometimes goes really crap and then it improves depending on where they're putting the weight on. Um, so it would be better. They focus on the algorithm and giving us a better experience with all, there's already enough and more than enough features for business users. Business users are so different to what we have the young millennials yeah. in Instagram. Yeah, and if they and if they want to make money, you know, because obviously they want to make money, I would pay to get more da data from LinkedIn because they data. have the data. They know who's following my yeah. hashtag. They know who subscribes exactly. to my news. They know, so they have the data. So I would like pay for like a data subscription to LinkedIn to provide me with like more insights and look a real analyze on the insights if i could Absolutely. click a button and say to linkedin okay have a look at the last 20 posts who has yes. liked all the 20 posts or which people have engaged at least five times in the last three months with my exactly post? give me a list exactly i would i Absolutely. would pay a lot of money to linkedin to see that kind of Absolutely. data or linkedin can open up their apis and let us build a product so we can see those video views and we can mark who's really a highly engaged contact because it's possible if they opened up their Toyota source, if they're not willing to do it. Yeah. That's, I don't know about that. Offering... I heard from, from other, no, no, they, they are very, very strict with the opening <laughs> the API. And I heard that it, it will cost you a lot of money to get access to the API because you, you need to pay a lot of money to, to be a, a, like a LinkedIn partner, which is, which is a shame because I, I, again, I think I, there is a huge. Well, they're offering, they're offering uh, their APIs for free. Last time I checked but they don't offer a lot of data. Um, like they don't even offer no, no, video I mean views the, uh, to us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean the full access. Also, as if, if you would like to build a tool and you want to include the LinkedIn data in your tool. Um, it, it, oh, they're charging for impossible. it now? You need to. I, yeah. I thought yeah. that they were yeah. not charging for it, yeah. but maybe they've moved to charging for it. But yes, this is really important. I think, we've, yeah, absolutely. We 
hopefully someone from LinkedIn is watching this and they focus on data and insights. That's what we're all thirsty for, not more products and features that complicate yep. the yep. platform. Well, it yep. has been Definitely. an absolute pleasure. I love exploring your mind and where it is. I love watching the reports you're producing. So thank you so much, Richard, for sharing with us and really going deep on that strategy. I really appreciate it because so many people are struggling and you're doing an amazing job in sharing so openly and so honestly about that because it just makes all of our marketing jobs even easier when we're dealing with our clients and they've had you and they can see that we're not, you know, we're not ripping them off. We're not doing anything because you're there as sort of a sounding voice to all of, all of people that are being facilitated by marketing agencies like us that facilitate LinkedIn and help with LinkedIn. But, you know, it's great to have gurus like you out there just making sure and being a sounding board because there's lots of insanity metrics being um, put out there by people. So thank you for always keeping it real. I want to keep seeing what you keep putting out because I love it. Um, and it's just been great connecting and conversing with someone of that really knows what's going on so deeply, so intimately, and is probably just um, has been there from day one um, and to be able to go that deep. So thank you so much, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. It was my pleasure. And um, uh, I'm sure we stay in contact to uh, exchange more insights. You're listening to Innovative Minds. Tune in every Thursday and spark your